0: Good morning, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us this morning as we talk about cybersecurity post-COVID. The world as we knew it has changed quite substantially over the last few months. And personally, in my own view, it is not going to go back to what it was pre-COVID. For example, working from home is going to become the norm rather than the exception. And there will be lots of budget cuts within organizations who will have to weather the economic storm in the coming months, which will expose organizations to greater risks, hence why understanding cybersecurity post-COVID must become an important subject for us all. So let me mention two items that came to my attention in the news recently. Number one was an article on LinkedIn editors during february and march it said in the MENA region malware and spam increased by 22 percent and 36 percent respectively just in two months the article also said that globally cybercrime detections increased by 26 percent between january and march so you can see what's happening over here given given the sort of situation circumstances we're working in. The second example I'll quote here is EasyJet, which announced recently that it was the victim of a cyber attack that exposed the email addresses and travel details of nine million of their customers, nine million. The company also said that of these customers, 2,200 plus had their credit card details accessed by what the company described as a highly sophisticated attack. So for me, the big question is, why have cyber attacks increased these last few months? And what can organizations do to ensure that they're prepared for this post COVID world? That's what we're going to talk about today. Let me introduce our two speakers for today. Sharad Agarwal, uh, who will moderate today's session. Sharad is the founder and CEO of Cybergear, which was launched by Sharad in 1996 as the first internet, one of the first internet services companies in the region. Traditionally in the web, mobile, social and digital space, Cybergear has ventured into AI and big data solutions conversational AI and omni-channel solutions. CyberGear has also recently started offering biometric solutions for monitoring social distancing. That's quite an interesting one. And now also offers cybersecurity solutions in partnership with Risk Quotient or RQ. Let me introduce the second speaker, the star of this show today, Chaitanya Kunte. He's also known as CK who is a co-founder and COO of Risk Caution Solutions and is based in India. So he's talking to us from India. Risk Caution was set up in Singapore in 2007 and operates out of India, Singapore, and London. RQ provides consultancy services in the areas of enterprise risk management, information risk and data privacy, business continuity planning, and information security compliance. RQ also provides online tools to enable clients to self-assess all aspects of information security and provide specialized training and certification to information security professionals. And that's all that I would say at this stage. I will hand uh, the mic over to Sharad now to carry on with the rest of the webinar.
1: Thank you, Gautam, for that uh, generous introduction. Um, and for those who don't know, Gautam and I are old friends. And Indeed. he was responsible for striking this relationship between cyber gear and RiskOcean. So thank you for that, Gautam, officially. Uh, moving forward, uh, I can see we have 17 participants. And I'm going to say good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, because they are from different parts of the world. Today, we are discussing a very important topic. This is serious business. According to Boston Consulting Group, in a study that came out just this past week, 300 million people globally are expected to be working from home. This has consequences, and a lot of them relate to cybersecurity. Are your networks secure? Is your information secure? Are you vulnerable to cyber attacks? These are concerns not only for large organizations, but also for SMEs. In another study that was published by Statista Research Organization uh, just uh, two weeks back, 70% of major organizations worldwide will be investing in cybersecurity which is more than in any other innovative technologies such as AI, big data, IoT, 5G, et cetera. So hence the importance of this topic, cybersecurity post COVID. We are lucky to have with us Chaitanya, who's a thought leader, who's a mentor in this field, knows cybersecurity like the back of his hand. So uh, I'm just going to set the stage Uh, For today's uh, session, uh, we will have a 20-minute presentation by Chaitanya. All participants can send in their questions through the chat option. I already have a few questions that we received from participants when they were registering, and I'm sure Gautam has a few questions ready as well. So after Chaitanya's presentation, we will have an interactive session with uh, the questions thrown at Chaitanya And I'm sure he'll be very happy to answer them. Uh, So that is uh, pretty much what I have to say. And uh, now I will request Chaitanya to take over and educate us on the importance of cyber security post-COVID. Thank you.
2: Right, Uh, thank you, Sharad. Thank you, Gautam for the wonderful introduction and setting the context for this session. Uh, So I would say welcome everyone uh, all all the participants good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you are and uh, welcome from the trenches that's what i would like to say you've been reading the news you've trying been trying to understand what has been happening in cybersecurity and you see a lot of news there's big news there's small news there's news which doesn't get reported so all of this has happened in cybersecurity and it keeps happening and uh, when you read it, you have a certain perception, you have a thought process. You want, you feel like, you know, this does it apply to me? Does it apply to my organization? Should I be worried, right? And then now that you have heard that post-COVID cybersecurity is going to be very important, people are going to work from home, there's going to be a different setup, and everything is going to be a sort of a, a hazy, you know, sort of hazy area where you don't know what has to be done. And that is where, we from the trenches of cybersecurity can really sort of give you a direction. And the entire context of these next 20 minutes or 15 to 20 minutes that I'm going to talk about is going to be about what direction to take. <clears throat> I'm not going to get into the details of who gets hacked, when, how, and what, is the, uh, what can happen. I thought I would just talk to you about five things to look out uh, in a post-COVID world, you know, five things to look out in cybersecurity in a post-COVID world. And that's uh, what we are going to talk about today. Because when you think about cybersecurity, you really want to think about what's uh, what's happening here or what's, what's. there is always news and there is always the type of news that you will come across, which will seem to you to be very dramatic. You know, Experian got hacked, you have so many big hacks with millions of data points being hacked and all of these things happening. Now, we know that you are interested in cybersecurity, we know that you know that cybersecurity is going to change so the topic of today is going to be what do you look out for in cybersecurity post covid i wouldn't say post covid as gotham put it very 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 succinctly and very eloquently he said things are going to change permanently there's not going to be a post and a pre you know now it's changed and this is where we are today don't expect it to go back anywhere and that's what we are going to focus on what changes So let's highlight five things that are going to change. But before we move ahead, just remember this, it's it's a Lamborghini and I'm sure most of you car enthusiasts will very easily be able to recognize what it is. Hold this image in mind. It's going to help you at the end. So we are not going to ask you questions about this, but if you know which one it is, it will be great. Let's, Let's just move ahead with this. And remember the caption, the more things change, Right. So let's talk about the first thing that we feel that I feel is going to change. Now, uh, at Risk Quotient, we advise a lot of customers on different aspects of cybersecurity. And based on all of the experience and what we have understood so far in helping customers adopt to COVID, these are the five things which we think are going to be the most important things for anybody who is interested in cybersecurity to understand and grasp so that they can help their organization move in the right direction in cybersecurity. The first thing that you need to know, right? The quick rise of digital. And I'm sure we all know that, and I'm sure Sharad has been talking about it for a few years now, Gautam's been talking about it for some time now, that everything is going to move digitally. In fact, uh, if you go to the websites of the, the large and famous companies, the, the big blue IBM has on their website digital, and they're selling digital for, uh, for the last year and a half, or at least the last year that I'm sure of. So they're saying digital services are going to be the next new thing. Now, digital services, yes, they're going to be the next new thing. Things are going to go digital. Now, when I say they're going to go digital, uh, we are looking at certain things here. We're looking at very, very specific areas. We're looking at three specific points that we want to talk about. The first is that most organizations are going to reach their customer through digital means. And I'm sure you would have noticed it already happening. You're reaching your customers through digital means, all your sales processes. We are reaching out to each other through digital means, we are talking to each other through digital means. In a pre-COVID era, we would probably be sitting in a seminar room or conference room with a cup of tea in our hands and, you know, talking face-to-face about this with a microphone and everything. But here we are, most probably in our pajamas, wondering about the future of cybersecurity and thinking about how it's going to change. So, yes, we are reaching out to people through digital means. And the sales organization, the sales teams have realized that the only way forward now for the foreseeable future, is to be about uh, talking about meeting their customers, reaching out through digital channels. You would have seen the flurry of LinkedIn messages that people are receiving, different webinars, different conferences, people wanting to connect to each other digitally. Right? So all of this, Zoom, you know, the stocks of Zoom have gone huge, you know, through the roof. They've zoomed through the roof. So yes, people are reaching out through digital means. People are also delivering their goods and services through digital means. If, there, if you're not digital today, you are, uh, you fear becoming extinct. You'll soon become a dinosaur if you don't have a digital service track right now. And a lot of companies have gone through that. A lot of companies have tried to adopt. Some of them have been successful. Some of them have failed. But you, you know that most companies are trying to move digitally. In, in every industry, whether it is media, where newspapers have suddenly stopped and you have to rely on digital communication, whether it is, you know, so websites of companies suddenly became prominence. You're delivering your goods and services through digital means. Companies which were originally only uh, customer-facing retail organizations have suddenly had to set up e-commerce stores. All of this is because you want to deliver your goods and services through digital means. And obviously, the way an organization is doing its sales and delivery through digital means, it is also taking its services through digital means. It's also accepting services through digital means. And that means that it is not just the fact that we are having uh, our sales process as an organization, our sales process and our delivery process online. We are also open and accepting our delivery process, our, our services online. We are accepting more and more services online. So we are accepting other people who want to talk to us. We are accepting the digital invites. We are looking up their websites. We are subscribing to more services, right? Those of you who had not subscribed to, say, an Amazon Prime would probably have already subscribed now, given this situation. So things are moving digital, and we are also accepting more and more services. And this is not going to change. Digital is here to stay. Digital has been accelerated. And that creates cybersecurity risks. When I say it creates cybersecurity risks, I'm talking about not just one or two, but a whole plethora of risks that you need to worry about. When you're reaching your customer through the digital means, your customer only knows you through a face on the zoom call or through your website. What if there is a fake site? What if there is a fake IBM.com, which asks you to reach out to you? What if there is a fake risk quotient or a cyber gear website that is asking to reach out to you? How do you take care of it? And the more popular your organization is offline, the more risks you face online. So. These are the risks that are going to increase now. There can be more phishing attempts. More and more people who would want to, you know, pretend to be someone else. You know, just throw the fish and see who clicks. Uh, this is what uh, Gotham said when he said a lot of attacks have been detected now. Because everybody is relying on the screen. Everybody, all of us today are looking at our screens right now. And we are relying. The screen communicates the truth to us. Or so we assume. What if it is not the truth? What if it is not as simple as recognizing a Nigerian Prince scam? The scams have gone a lot more complicated now. All of us who are today a part of this call has heard of the Nigerian Prince scam. There's a Prince in Nigeria who sends you an email saying, I want to get out of Nigeria. I have millions of dollars. I want to send them to you so that I can make use of them there. And for your... uh, what you call the pain that you're going to take about it. I'm going to send you or give you a million dollars, but can you give me a few hundred thousand dollars first so that I can move my money? And we are smarter than that. Or we have, we thought we were smarter than that, but the Nigerian Prince scam was 10 years ago. Today's scam, you would probably be equally susceptible. uh, Even though you think you can recognize most scams. So for example, I'll give you a, a very short example before we move ahead. Uh, in, in, in lockdown situation in India right now, you have to apply for a COVID test and you have to apply for, a, for an e pass to travel somewhere. Once you do it, it's all digital. You apply, you get an acknowledgement, you get an email saying your pass has been approved, or you get an email saying your COVID results. This is happening in India, it's happening in the US, it's happening in countries wherever there was a lockdown, wherever the COVID testing has been gaining prominence. You receive an email which says your COVID test results are here. Now, if you have not done a COVID test, you know it's phishing. But if you have done one, you are very, very susceptible. And this is one of the biggest things of digital. You will start to trust digital more and more. And that is the risk cyber security professionals have to worry about. The second part, when you start delivering your goods and services through digital means, you have to also worry about how you're going to deliver them are you going to deliver them through third parties if yes you are looking at risks in your supply chain where does my information pass through and if so what is that vendor going to do with that information if i'm if i'm a retail store which had just one outlet and i have decided now that i want to move i want to probably be a seller on amazon because that's the biggest channel or i want to have my own website and rely on say, a a UPS to deliver my packages for me? Am I handing over confidential data to either Amazon or to the, the career service provider or to someone else in between? And if so, what is it that I risk? If the data gets leaked, it will not say that UPS leaked the information of so many people. It will say your company leaked the information of so many people. That's what happens when large banks today say that, you know, data has been leaked. There was an incident in Access Bank in India a, a couple of years back where the data was leaked because of a vendor. But nowhere in the newspaper or probably on the third row of the uh, third call, paragraph of the article you would see this was because of a vendor's mistake. It would say Access Bank's data leaked. That's how it would say. And that means your brand and reputation is going to get impacted. So when you're delivering more and more goods and services through digital means, your band and reputation is at stake because of problems or cybersecurity risks introduced by your supply chain and vendors. And doing a vendor data security assessment becomes very critical. What is the risk or what is the controls that the vendor has in place to ensure that your data remains secure? And then come to the other side of it. When we are consumers of this new digital economy, when you say that, we are selling online and we are delivering online. We are also ac- accepting services online. Now this take this example. Let's say an organization decides that it wants to use an HR management system. You're locked down. Your HR management system is in office. You don't know what, how to reach that now. So what do you do? You sign up for a new HR portal which is right as a software as a service. And you start using it. Who does this? The HR team. You don't ask IT about the risk. You use a trial for 15 days. You don't like it, move to the next HR service available. What happens to the data on the previous one which you tried out but didn't work? The moment you sign up to these software as a service kind of portals, you realize that you have a seven day free trial or a 14 day free trial or a forever free version which is a freemium kind of thing with limited services. And most people happily sign on for their organizations Because it's digital, you have to go digital. And when they move on from that, when they decide to stop using it, what happens to the data? Is it still available? Have you actually read the privacy policy of that particular organization which says what they can do with the data? And this is not just a simple risk for small organizations who take those services anymore. Everyone is moving there. Most organizations today have decided or are in the process of deciding that Setting up email servers is no longer worth it. I either go to an Office 365 or a Gmail or one of the other service providers and just use the service. Well, email is an IT problem. It's not a big challenge. An HRMS goes to HR. A CRM goes to sales. right? So when you're using all of these services, you somewhere skip IT because it is so easy to use. And the only people who were your gatekeepers who could tell you that this seems risky, don't do it. You just ignore them. You just bypass them. And that's called the shadow IT risk. Because you are your own IT department now without the expertise of the IT guy telling you, look, this does not seem right to me. And that is a risk which you're going to contend to more and more. And the larger your organization, the more diversified with different teams, the more the risk is going to occur. And now that you're taking services online, there's the spear phishing risk also which might come up with. Which you're talking about how are you going to... Uh, very very specific targeted attacks so sharad receives an email which says this is for sharad this is what it is with respect to certain things he's already done so spear phishing which means i'm targeting very specific people knowing what they are to do and that's a big risk for me as well so the risk because of going a quick digital way are increasing really really fast and at every organization which is moving in the digital direction will have to learn to address these risks uh, while they are going digital fast. So it's like trying to change the wheel of your tire while it is moving. Remember that. So so change the wheel of your car (laughs) while it is moving. Yeah. And uh, that's that's how it's going to be for cybersecurity professionals. And there is no going away from it. We have to learn to do it or get help, whichever is the case. So we need to be aware of the digital risks introduced due to the new digital channels in your organization. And it's very critical. Are you going to start accepting Bitcoin as a method of payment? Probably not just yet, but if you do and when you do it, do you know what risks you are entailing? And this is not just a cyber risk, it's, it's an enterprise risk. Bitcoins fluctuate wildly in their pricing. How are you going to manage that risk? So, when you move digital, understand the new risks that are introduced and take care of them. That's the first point that anybody should understand in cybersecurity post and i'm moving ahead now the second point the cost of risk it's very interesting right we we always wonder you know what is the risk in this but we rarely identify what the cost of a risk is we say that cybersecurity has a particular budget and people will take care of that uh, we will implement tools and systems within the budget to take care of cybersecurity. post-covid budgets are going to be tight at least for the foreseeable future, I would say at least for one financial year, you're going to have tight budgets. You're not going to have money splurging freely. You can't go and you know scare your board into giving you more. The board will not do it. They don't have the budgets to do it for you now. Probably last year you'd have gone and scared your board saying, look, we have a big cyber attack coming up, give us budgets to put in this nice newfangled system. You would probably have had half a chance of getting it. Now you're going to be said, go and do an analysis for me, figure out if it is important and figure out another way. That's what's going to happen. Budgets are going to be tight. Cybersecurity will still have some budgets. It's not going to be that they're going to be cut out from the equation. They will still have budgets because it is considered as a very crucial service. But it's not going to be as freely as before. So you need to choose wisely. Don't protect the risks with low probabilities and low consequences. Which is why I want you to now focus on this image. You're not going to be in a fantasy world where you're going to be attacked by a tiger and need to defend yourself with a dagger. So don't prepare your prepare your jiu-jitsu moves in such a way that you can protect yourself from a tiger. You're most likely going to have very simple risks that you need to protect. And you're going to have very specific, high probability risks for your organization which you have to take care of. You can't really take care of every single thing. So. You need to come out of the fantasy world, write down your risks, identify which ones are crucial and which ones you need to take care of. So how are you going to do that? How do you know that this is not an actual risk for you? It could be, right? You could actually be that organization which is living in this fantasy world, which has probably a tiger right looking up to you right from a cliff. How do you know where where you are? And this is where if you are a bank or a financial institution, or if you are somebody who is in a high risk kind of an organization, you will need to worry about how, what approach you take. If you're going to take a control based approach, a control driven approach, which says, you know, uh, this is typically how organizations do it today. They have a control driven approach. Do you have a database access monitoring tool? Yes, no. It's a checklist. Do you have a data leak prevention solution? Yes, no have you got a next generation firewall? Yes, no. Do you have a SOC team and do you do real time analytics? Yes, no. Now that's going to be, a, uh, that's going to change. When I say, if I say I don't have a database access monitoring tool, if I don't have any of these four things, am I insecure? Depends. It, it really depends on what risks you're facing. So every organization, which is now in a control driven approach, which says, okay, I am mandated by my regulator to do follow certain steps, is going to have to find innovative ways to mitigate the risk. So you are not going to have to be doing tool-based thinking. You have to do risk-based thinking. And that's something which is very, very crucial for you to understand. So if you move from a control-driven approach, you have to move to a risk-driven approach. What is the risk that I foresee here? So instead of asking, do you have a database access monitoring tool? Ask yourself, what risks do you have to your database? And if you say there is no direct risk, you can decide what kind of controls to put in place. Now, this is a very, very common perception in cybersecurity that cybersecurity is always risk driven. It has never been controls driven, but it's a misconception. Most organizations implement cybersecurity as a control driven approach. They are regulated. They they have to follow certain steps. They have to follow certain guidelines. What do I do to meet that compliance requirement? I pick up the phone, ask my friend who's working in another organization, hey, what have you done? And he tells me, look, we have put this in place. Oh, can you send me the details of what you've done? And then you start looking at it and you start evaluating that tool and then you invite three quotes, identify them, and you follow the process. It's like, yes, that's how it's normally done. It's not going to work now. If you want to have a secure organization, you have to move from that control driven approach to a risk driven approach. Really, really focus on your risk assessments. Make sure that you have identified your risks correctly. Make sure that you have identified your crown jewels correctly. Understand what you want to protect and whom you want to protect it from. And once you're sure of that, then you can identify what can go wrong and then put in the controls. Today, most of the organizations follow this exercise as a very, very paper exercise to show to their regulators. They can't do it anymore. You have to follow this because you don't have the budgets to put controls everywhere. You're going to have to choose and obviously risk management is about choice. What you accept and what you don't accept. So move from a control driven approach to a risk driven approach. While organizations would feel that they're doing it, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. And we, when we have helped organizations many times, we have accepted them. You know, we looked at their risk assessment and said, okay, what risk have you mitigated by this? And they look at us all blank and say, well, probably we need to think it through. So that, that's how most of our discussions go. So that's something which you need to worry about. Really, really consider. Move from the control-driven approach to a risk-driven approach. Right, I'm I'm moving quickly to the next one, the changing network. Uh, This is a little technical, so I'm going to move through this quickly and I will be happy to answer questions about this at a later stage because I don't want those who are non-technical to get all confused in this session. This is how traditional networks have been built and you will see most networks are something like this. There is a nice little box. There is a castle which I have created. All my components, my servers, my databases, my network equipment, my all of my are centrally located here, and I have a huge security guard here. I'm just going to put a pointer, and I have a huge security guard here. My firewall and this firewall will take care of anybody going in and out, and nobody else can come in from anywhere else. So I'm quite happy. And outside, I have the big bad internet, whatever happens here is not my problem as long as I control it from coming inside, right? And now, suddenly, we had COVID, everybody was working from home. And what happened? We quickly said, okay, home users, I will allow you into my network, but I will allow you securely through a virtual private network. Virtual private network is nothing but an encrypted connection between two, lo- two specific areas. So a home computer versus your server, there is a secure connection, which is an encrypted connection. It's called a virtual private network. Now I'm going to allow you through this connection. That's how it is set up now. So most organizations who have been caught struggling to implement uh, uh, IT infrastructure during this COVID situation, is, is, this is where they are. They have said, look, I have controlled everything. I have protected everything. And this has been applicable largely for uh, government and regulated organizations who were very, very particular about having things under their control and securely within their own environment. When they suddenly face this situation where people can't reach office, they have had to set up this kind of an infrastructure. But that's going to change completely. This is what the network of tomorrow is going to look like. And most of you would already have some components already in place. You have some servers which are locally <clears throat> based in your organization. Some users are using it. You are using some cloud services. You have you are either on AWS, you are on Google Cloud Platform or you are on uh, Azure and you are using those services, you're using software as a service. You're using either Salesforce, you're using Gmail, Office 365. You're using so many software as a service. things. If you sit and try and write down what you're using, you'll like come up with some of them everywhere. And then there's the big bad Internet, which has just been divided into multiple areas. And not only that, you're also using apps from app stores, you're play stores. You're, you're hosting your own apps. You're using apps from somewhere else. So you're now using a, huge, mess of a different, huge mesh of different clouds and users are accessing it from everywhere. So what changes here is that it's a complete shift in thinking that you're going to have to have. It's not a fire and moat uh, kind of a protection. You know, It's not like a castle and moat kind of a protection. A firewall is not the only device that can protect you. You have to start thinking in a different way now. How can I protect such a diverse environment when I don't know where my network ends? I don't know where my boundaries are. My information is probably everywhere. And like I told you before, if you don't know what to protect, how are you going to protect it? So your network has changed. Whom do you trust? And that's a very crucial question you need to ask yourself. You need to start moving in the direction of uh, thinking uh, of Sorry, just, yeah. you need to start moving in a direction which is uh, limiting the amount of things you trust, limiting the amount of connections you trust. And that's where you move from something like a central architecture to a zero trust architecture. And people have been talking about this for a while. This is Google's beyond cloud, uh, beyond Corp architecture, which talks about having a zero trust architecture with people at the center, managing identities and managing devices. So if you see here, users, managing users and managing devices. And everything else in your network is about managing those user identities and those devices. Making sure that you don't trust anything connecting to any of your systems and data. That's what's going to happen now. I'm sure you'll have a lot of questions on this and how this works. So we can discuss it in the Q&A because it gets a little more technical. So. Uh, I'm going to move quickly ahead now and I'm going to come up to something which everyone is talking about. The user, like we saw previously, the user is at the center. Managing identities is becoming a very crucial part of managing your security, which means do I know that this CK is the right user and is it a CK trying to connect to my network? How do I authenticate him? How do I know CK is the person who is supposed to use this service and he is the real person. He is the real CK who is trying to connect. And that is the question that I'm trying to answer. So the users have suddenly come to the center of the attacks right now. A user is being attacked. Let me move to a bit of psychology in this case. Users working from home rely more on communication. You are communicating verbally, you're communicating through phone, through Zoom meetings, through Google Meet, you're communicating through your chat applications, WhatsApp, you're communicating through Slack, so many different modes, which leads to more attack vectors. And more attack vectors, which means since you have so many channels of communication, there are so many ways in which you can be attacked. And the more number of ways which you can be attacked, the more chances of you being compromised. And right now, because of the ongoing situation where there is uncertainty about the future, there's uncertainty about whether you're going to have a job, there's uncertainty about what your company is going to do. Am I going to have pay cuts? Am I going to have so many uncertainties which users are worrying about, right? Are are shops and offices going to be open? Will I have to travel to work? Will I get affected if I travel to work? What if I have to take the metro? So so many questions that you have to answer. And that causes people to seek out more and more information and the more and more information people seek out, the more and more chances that they'll land upon sites, they land upon information which is not accurate or correct. Which is why you see right now that there is so much cyber attacks which, are, which you feel, there are so many cyber attacks that are going on right now. What do you do as an organization then? You need to understand your user psychology. What are my people going through? What are my people? As in, What are my stakeholders? What are my employees going through? What are my customers going through? What are my partners going through? What are my board members going through? What are my stakeholders going through? What are my shareholders going through? Understand what they are going through. If I am a shareholder in your organization, I am worried. Is the stock going to go down? Are you going to pay me dividend? And I will go and try and look up information about you. Right. So you, I need to understand what is the user going to look for, understand what attack vectors can be there. Right. So if I publish a, a, a phishing site, which says, um, let's say I'm, I am a, I have bought certain stock in Google. And if I publish a phishing site, which says Google's next annual results revealed. Take a quick peek before the price rises. You probably want to click on. It. So we want to make sure that the communication channels are open very straightforward by understanding what the user is going to look for. Understand user psychology, understand attack vectors and train users constantly. Talk to them. The communication is going to be a very big key in managing this. Most of the attacks have increased because people have started working from home, but the communication channels have remained the communication of old. If you were in office, you'd probably not worry about it because you can see your business partner next door. You can see your bosses in the cabin there you can see everything in place and you know what can happen. Now that you don't see anybody, the requirement for communication has increased tremendously and that's going to make an impact. Right. And monitor for anomalies. If something can go wrong, what can go wrong? Monitor those. So that's the next one about users. And the last point that I'm going to talk about is the rise of cyber physical systems. Now, when I talk about cyber physical systems, I'm talking about the internet of things. I'm talking about systems that are traditionally belonging to the physical world, which are now connected to the internet. So now you have smart homes, you have smart lights, smart TVs, everything is smart. How do I make anything smart by connecting it to the internet? I, I sound smart myself by connecting to the internet and looking up Google, right? So anything can be made smart by connecting to the internet but that's going to lead to a lot of risks, more remote access to your industrial control systems because people can't travel or don't want to travel to your industries. There is a very easy way connect your systems to the internet, automate them and make use of that. Control them from your home computer. That's so nice. And that's, what's happening. It's been gaining prominence, but that leads to a lot of risk. More remote access means more automation and more risks. A lot of the cyber connected systems, the cyber physical systems, the internet of things systems, they have certain sets of inherent problems. For example, if you have a software problem on your phone, you can receive an update. There is a software update. I'm sure you've enabled software updates which can quickly tweak it. But if there is a problem in, the, uh, in your industrial control system let's say there is a problem in one of the valves that controls flow of oil from A to B. How are you going to address that? It's, it's not a firmware upgrade that, you can, that can solve it for you. You have to probably physically be there and then you have to push that update to all the systems controlling it. It's going to be difficult. So more remote access, more automation and more risks, right? Contactless, which means internet enabled. We're going to move towards a contactless environment where, we are saying, okay, you don't have to worry about it. You make payments, contactless. Don't give me cash, make contactless payments. Again, contactless means internet enabled now because you're going to have to use the internet to make to do whatever has to be done. So the more you hear these words, contactless, internet of things, cyber physical systems, the more you realize that you are in an environment which is highly risky. So if your organization is talking about these things, IoT, cyber physical, contactless. You as a cyber security uh, person or as a cyber security interest, a person with cyber security interest, needs to worry about what this means and needs to understand and handle the risks associated with it. Right. And for this point, it's very critical to understand that IoT related or cyber physical related systems, the skills required are very different from regular cyber security skills. You might not have them on board right now but you are moving very quickly. You're moving digital, right? Your organization has to live. So you have to survive. You have to move digital. So it's better to understand the right resources now because prevention is always better than cure. And these are the five points that I wanted to talk to you about. Remember our first old, very little, uh, nice little Lamborghini. This is an old Fiat, but remember the more things change, the more they remain the same. Which means cybersecurity still was meant to secure the organization and still today is meant to secure the organization. Yeah. You are probably not going to do anything drastically different. You're still going to have to do certain things, the basics right, but you'll have to do it with new thinking. You'll have to do it with new thought processes. You still have to go from A to B. And whether you have a Lamborghini or a 1970s Fiat, you're still going to reach there. It's just how you're going to do it that has changed. So remember that in the cybersecurity world, doing a risk assessment or you know being business enabled, understanding where your business is moving and then helping them plug those cybersecurity gaps is what cybersecurity has always been about and it's going to remain about that. The more things change, the more they remain the same. And if you stick to the basics right, you're going to have a better cybersecurity for your organization. And with that, I would just like to quickly conclude what I have said. I know I took a little more time than I should have, but it was a part of the flow, so apologies to uh, Gotham and Sharad for that, but uh, we are open for questions, I guess.
1: Yeah, Thank you, Chaitanya, if I may come in. I'm still trying to figure out how I can change my tire while my car is moving. <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, but anyway, now we've received a few questions uh, from our participants. <coughs> And if I may shoot the first one at you. Yes, please. Uh, This is from a gentleman who is planning to launch an e-commerce business. And Mm -hmm. the question is, what platform would you recommend that he should uh, embrace? Should he build his own website or should he join a marketplace? Okay. Uh, I would say that is a very business
2: question. And I would like to give you... uh, a very business-related answer to it as well. When you're launching a website for uh, an e-commerce platform for selling products and services, you'll have to worry about two or three things. The first thing is, are you selling products? Are you selling physical products? If you're selling physical products, launching your own platform will still have the logistics that have to be taken care of. How do I move goods from A to B? And then it does not make sense to have your own platform, it's better to then look at something like being a reseller on an Amazon or something. The problem with being a reseller on Amazon is it comes with a lot of its own problems. You will have to be in the good books of Amazon to be upvoted in the search. You'll have to be, you know, a lot of things that will happen in, in, on that platform. Plus Amazon takes its chunk of money, right? It's pound of flesh and they can choose change their rules anytime. So there are a lot of things that are there associated with it. So without understanding more about the details, a very broad view is this is what I can give you for if you're a product platform. If you're selling some kind of a knowledge-based product, like maybe some trainings or some other document-related stuff, then you can go in for multiple different ways. You can probably set up your own portal with a Shopify kind of a setup and you can do your own sales using that because now you're doing only a knowledge-based product which does not involve physical development. So it really depends upon what you're doing but whatever thing you choose uh, understand that you need to make sure that cyber security is taken care of right from the beginning you can't set up your e-commerce platform and then worry about security okay i hope i've answered partially to that
1: yeah i would imagine so uh, gotham you have some questions
0: yeah indeed uh, one of the questions i had was uh you know organizations have always had PCPs. Uh, Chaitanya, and, and they would have potentially taken care of COVID-like situations. Uh, now, why should orga- organizations revisit their existing BCPs? What makes it more important now, given the changes we've experienced? Why do BCPs yes. need to be re-looked at and change quite dramatically?
2: Yes. So... Um so just, just to give you a quick background, Gautam, uh, uh, we have been doing business continuity planning for a very long time. And we have been helping organizations set up their entire business continuity plans. But what we realized during this pandemic situation, there are certain scenarios which are not taken care of. Things like, uh, so for example, not being able to reach your office for a long time, like maybe a couple of months, was considered to be a very, very uh, black swan event and you would not have planned for it but things have changed dramatically now when you have to relook at your business continuity plan you would have to consider these scenarios saying look we might not be able to work from home This is we have to work from home and this is the new normal and now continuing my business is to make sure that people can connect remote from remote areas and now you have to figure out a business continuity plan for the new normal itself which is why you have to completely relook at your business continuity plan.
0: Okay, can I ask a follow-up question to that? So you yes, mentioned yes. about uh, everything now now being cybersecurity now not being tool-based, but it yes. needs to move to risk-based thinking. And you yes. also talked about this transition from the old sort of castle uh kind of network into a more open sort of network. So Does that mean that the risk profile of organizations has changed quite fundamentally because of the extensive work-from-home practices?
2: Yes. Uh, Okay, so the short answer is yes, it has changed fundamentally. And uh, the longer part of the answer, um, while it would appear right now that you've just done certain changes to your network, what you have actually done is you have architecturally changed how your network looks. You have moved from a particular type of setup to a completely different type of setup. And you have done it very quickly because you want it to be live up and running during this uh, two months of uh, COVID-related lockdowns. So while you have changed your network fundamentally, you're still trying to assess and protect yourself from the old risks. You have not found out what your new risks are. And that's what you need to do right now. What was that very specifically your question? No, absolutely.
0: I think that 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 was perfect. Shara, do you have any questions? I have
1: a question from uh, an insurance company in Dubai uh, that is planning to launch a mobile app and offer Mm -hmm. all their services through that app where where, uh, customers can subscribe to their various services through the app, make the payments. And uh, uh, the question really is... uh, what about the security what about what are the aspects that this insurance company should look at and can risk quotient come in and do a complete security audit before they uh, roll this uh, app out to public at large
2: absolutely so uh, yes uh, to answer your last question first yes risk quotient can come in and do a complete assessment of the mobile application and the entire uh, uh, it setup of the organization i would just like to add a couple of more points here so that whoever is the, is the question uh, that whoever has asked this question i would like like to give a couple of more pointers here the first pointer is that you need to understand what services that you want to allow from the mobile app you might not want to allow your entire services that you are available through a physical means or through your website to be accessible through the mobile app You might want to choose which ones are available and which ones are not. Because it might not be a a requirement probably that all these services be available. That's something you need to understand first. So the more restrictive you have it, the better it is for security. But whatever, it is a business decision that you will take. Now, once you choose to do whatever services to do, you will be connecting to different systems in your organization at the back end. You'll probably be connecting to a core insurance application. You'll probably be connecting to your any kind of a CRM that you're using and you'll be pulling data from there. So not only do you have to look at this mobile application, you'll have to look at the entire thing in conjunction. You'll have to look at this mobile application, your core banking system, your CRM system, and all the interconnected systems as one ecosystem that you're changing. So you're not just pulling a tree from a forest or not just adding a tree to the forest, you're changing the entire environment. You're adding things to it. You're adding bugs to it. You're adding so many things to it. So that's how you need to look at it. Take a holistic picture. And then once you have taken the holistic picture, when it really comes down to the implementation of how you have done it and decided at that time, again, you can look at whether there are any technical risks involved, you know, do, do an ethical hacking on the system, see whether your code is right, whether, whether there, there are any bugs in it. So take a two or three step approach before you do this. That's what I would recommend.
1: All right, great. Uh, Gautam, over to you.
0: Yes, I've just had a question from Justin here, uh, which says, uh, let me just read that. Sorry, just one second. So the question is in future, do we need to have a separate pandemic response plan or an existing BCP plan itself, which can be tweaked, over, tweaked to cover pandemic response. So okay. the question is do we need a separate plan to take care of things like pandemics, extended uh, sort of unavailability of infrastructure and offices, and so on?
2: Yeah. So this is a very classic uh, question that we come across in business continuity planning. Do I handle all scenarios? Do I? Do I prepare for a Mars attack, let's let's just put it that way, or do I prepare for my everyday server being crashed? Now, which are the scenarios that I need to choose for my business continuity planning? It's a classic question that all business continuity planners have to deal with. And uh, to that, I would like to say that, you know, uh, you might not want to have a very specific pandemic response plan here, but you might want to have a plan for extended unavailability of your premises. And if you had attended the previous bcp specific webinar that I had conducted, and I think that would also be a good thing to probably share with people here. uh, A pandemic response plan is not a people strategy. It is a premise strategy for me. Your your premises are unreachable. Your premise is still there. It's still connected, but you can't reach it. For an extended period of time. For an extended period of time. So now you have to worry about a premise strategy. So when you do a business continuity planning, you look at what you're trying to plan for. So you typically plan for people, you plan for premises, you plan for information, you plan for your business partners. So there are six or seven areas which you plan for. So I would suggest you plan for these areas and your specific incident scenarios like a like a pandemic will be taken care of themselves. Right? The reason why organizations, sorry, yeah. The reason why organizations did not have uh, specific pandemic responses in this case was because uh, it, it came very down in the uh, radar for their uh, uh, except it, it was an exception right? assuming that nobody would be able to reach office was considered an exception that's not going to happen right so that, that's how it worked uh, yeah.
1: yeah I and think so. it was
0: fundamental because governments were not prepared for the pandemic so I would imagine that organizations were even less prepared than governments yes I've had another question come through Sharad uh, yes. Uh, if I go through sure. this, yeah. the question is, we're using more and more apps now. Is using apps more secure than using a website? That's question one. And the second question is, whilst using a website, we generally look for security locks. Is there anything that lack, like that that exists for apps? Okay.
2: So... Uh yeah that's a very basic question which uh, we do come across very often and uh let me answer it in in two parts the first part is when you're using apps from either the app store or the play store at that point in time there are certain rules for uh hosting an app or posting an app on either the uh, apple app store or the android play store and that involves having an ssl connection so you have to do an, something called as an ssl pinning for it which is exactly the same thing as looking for that little green lock so if you are using an app which is downloaded from the official channels app store or play store you can be confident that that person is allowed to put the app there only with if it has that ssl pinning which means only if it is secure uses a secure connection it is allowed to do that now the the second part of the question is with respect to what the application does so an application will ask for permissions from you on your phone and you have to be careful about what permissions you give and that's very very user dependent so yes uh it, it works both ways it's not that an app is more secure or less secure but an app on the official stores will always have some level of security but if it is an app that is supposed to do certain things then you will always be in a bit of a You'll have to figure out what you want from that app. To give you a quick example, I think there is this thing trending in India right now is to uh, sort of delete China apps, which means you download an application and it will run on your system and it will delete all applications which have a Chinese manufacturer. Apparently, we think China is the root cause of the coronavirus and we want to delete their apps. But leaving politics aside, Installing apps like that could be a problem because you're giving those applications an extra permission to not only address their space, they can also look at other apps and delete them, which means you're not sure what that application is going to do. So you have to take a very conscious call and you have to be very situationally aware when you're taking care of this.
0: Right, there's a follow up question to the one that I just asked you, which is a lot of uh, sort of apps ask if you would like to use your Google profile or your Hotmail, your Outlook profile uh, to create a profile for yourself for an app or to create your own separate profile. Uh, Is one better than the other?
2: Okay, yes. Uh, I would recommend go with the Google or the application, Google, Facebook or uh, Microsoft profile. Because then you can go to the central console and control who has access to it. Uh, it, it. There's not much of a difference any other way. But if you go using either, you know, use Google to log in. or uh, So that, that, that's a feature called OAuth. or it's, it's called a centralized authentication service, which Google and Facebook and others. Are. So what happens is they only take the authentication information and they access certain pieces of information from you. And largely you can control that. And if you don't like it, you can just go to the central console on Google or wherever you are, and delete those applications from having access. If you create your own profile, then it becomes a problem for you to go and delete it elsewhere. If, if you're going to create your own profile, and if, if you feel that it's more secure for you, you don't want to share the same details everywhere, then I would recommend use something like a password manager app that is going to keep a track of everything central.
0: Question, Sharad. Uh, no, I
1: think uh, we are on time now, so uh, I don't have any more questions.
0: There is one last question that I'd like to ask, which is, how can risk quotient help with reviewing vulnerabilities and doing gap assessments? And does it do this, especially given the travel restrictions at the moment in place? Uh, how does how can this be done if an organization Is an urgent need of a review?
2: Yes. Great. So I think uh, it can be done. Yes, that's our business and that's what we have been doing. So we can do any uh, gap assessments of your cybersecurity profile. We can do technical assessments of your cybersecurity profile. Uh, To be able to do it remotely, uh, that's the second part of the question. And uh, risk quotient as an organization has always been very, very Uh, distributed so we have always had remote connections we've always been able to work remotely we have always done all our project management remotely we have always been we have had the ability to work remotely so uh, when, when the lockdown started and when all of this pandemic happened we did not even miss a beat we just moved on to working remotely that's as simple as that now to be able to do this remotely we need support from the organization that wishes to have it done they need to have their people accessible. They need to be able to provide us with the information we need. They need to give us a walkthrough. So we need to conduct certain meetings and sessions. So we run our organization in, uh, in on an agile project management approach, which works in sprints. So we just do a, do a two week sprint. So we were very quickly within two weeks, able to change our approach for all our customers. So if it involved going site, doing certain things, Within two weeks, all our plans had changed to be able to address all of this remotely. So, uh, yes, remote audits can be done, remote assessments can be done. We have various means and mechanisms to do it. We use different online tools to do it. And our project management office is capable of doing all of these things and handling any kind of changes to that environment. So if tomorrow things were to change again, we'll still be able to handle it because we plan in that manner. So overall, yes, to answer your question, we are able to do all of it remotely. We are able to do your assessments, reviews, and gap assessments remotely. We are able to advise you remotely on your risks because we have built those tools and systems which are available as a software, as a service to you, to do all of these things. And I think if you look at our website, you will be seeing some of those tools.
0: Excellent. Sharath, over to you.
1: Yes, so I just want to thank uh, Chaitanya for uh, educating us on the subject. And it's an ongoing uh, process. So we would love to do another webinar in time, maybe four to six weeks from now, uh, based on a topic that is of interest to people in the region. So I'd encourage our participants to get in touch with me uh, soon after this uh, webinar. And let me know what are the topics you would like us to cover in the forthcoming uh, webinar that we are planning to organize in four to six weeks. I want to also uh, uh, put out the information which is on the screen now. Anybody who wants to do a follow up can uh, reach out to me locally right here in Dubai through the email that's displayed there. You can call me. I pretty much work 24 by seven and uh, we'll be happy to answer any of your questions going forward. Um, So Gautam, you would like to have the last word for today?
0: Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Sharad. Thank you very much, CK, for that. Uh, I've learned a lot today. All that I need to say is thank you to everyone who's participated today. Thank you, Sharad. Thank you, uh, CK, uh, for getting us a bit more enlightened. (laughs) Um, this session has been recorded and a recording and a uh, concise version will also be available to you online. Now, I don't know if, if, if participants want a copy of this uh, presentation, whether we're able to give it to them on request, but that's something I leave to you, Cheryl. Yeah. All I have to say then is uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you for joining us. Have a lovely day.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you, you everyone. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye.